Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody. This is uh, Jacob Daniel, host of the Daniel 3 Podcast. Thanks, everybody, who's tuning in live or watching the recording afterwards. Um, it's been a little bit. I feel like I, you know, I, I did one last week, I guess. It just when you were doing, I was doing podcasts, it felt like every day or every other day for a while. And then, man, it's really weird when you stop doing it for a little bit and try to get back into it. You get a little rusty. Even my my equipment, when I tried to get this uh, stream going and stuff it was just like everything was being slow and lethargic and it didn't want to work right and I had to restart things a couple times and I was so out of sorts that I was even um, forgot that me and my guest tonight are in different time zones and so I was thinking he was running late and actually I was being uh, a complete jerk and running uh, an hour early so <laughs> um, but it's all good um, I don't have too much I want to plug before we get started um, uh, I guess I'll give a quick update on my dad quick for those who have been following that. Um, I did share on Twitter um, uh, since the, so I did like the episode before this one was kind of like an in-depth explanation of like things that had happened up until that point. Uh, this past weekend, he got taken off the ventilator. Um, so really happy about that. Praise God. Thank everyone uh, who's been praying and and supporting and and checking in i really appreciate it so he's still got a long ways to go he's like uh kind of like detoxing off off all the medications he's been on so he's still very out of it but i've been able to see him and talk to him and um so he's he's going to recover uh it's going to be probably a month or two before he's completely back on his feet but um we're happy that uh you know that god has sustained him through this and uh you know even though i had some I had some frustrations with the nurses and the doctors, but we got on the same page and they were able to give my dad the care they needed. So everything's doing good there. Um, Thursday, uh, I have Spike Cohen coming on the podcast. That's going to be at 830 Eastern Standard Time. So definitely tune in for that. 
Um, next week, I have some podcasts that are in the works. I am very behind on my scheduling. October was a weird month for me because October 1st is when my dad went into the hospital. So I usually like to schedule things a month in advance. And, uh, and instead of that happening, a lot of things fell through and uh, I haven't had time to schedule things. So I'm just trying to throw some things together last minute. Um, but there, there will be a couple episodes uh, next week as well. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm going to bring our guest on tonight. Uh, he is a friend of mine from the, uh, Twitterverse and someone who I've talked to a lot, but never in person. So this will be kind of our first conversation. Uh, so I'm going to bring him on right now. He is, uh, Josh, I, I, O, I, and cap, uh, who is the host of the flyover libertarian uh podcast is that how you would you say is it, is it iowa and cap or how do you how do you yeah. say that <laughs> iowa and cap iowa and cap put it all yeah, together okay. yeah <laughs> i was trying i was trying to like say it that way but uh my uh my mouth and my brain were not in perfect uh sync yeah. uh for me to do that but uh hey thanks for coming on man uh uh appreciate yeah. it looking forward to i remember when i first so i got into twitter a lot later than i think a lot of people um but i remember when I first started like getting connected to other Christian libertarians, I remember you were, you were one of the first ones that I started to like really follow uh, heavily because we're both, uh, we're both Christians, both anarchists, and we both are part of the like reformed Calvinist uh, mm-hmm. faith uh, or, or de- denominations or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. it. It's yeah. But um, world, world yes, yeah, fears. <laughs> it's, struggle to find you know the, the divisions within christianity are so silly and it's hard to uh categorize them sometimes and even it's like i don't go to any uh, a church that's really strictly reformed or calvinist i mean like my pastor is but like uh it's a bit more just kind of standard evangelical non-denominational yeah. but but my beliefs tend to get derived from more of a reformed background and so it's nice to find uh more more christians that i have a lot in common with so uh yeah maybe uh to get started um maybe just a, a little bit of a introduction of yourself since this is your first time on uh my podcast so for for my audience and for those who don't know you introduce yourself uh give a little bit of your background whatever you want to share there and how you've uh came to um the positions that you have today of being a oh, christian sure. libertarian um yeah so i was a christian first i was uh always uh, I- as long as I remember, I, I, I have a distinct memory of praying with my father who was a, uh, not overly like he, he's a smart man. Uh, didn't really get into conversations like reformed and whatnot. He just kind of, uh, you know, loved the Lord, loved the word. And, and that's what he taught me. And, uh, so for forever, that's been, um, uh, part of, you know, who I, who I am. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, I'm actually, um, I'm actually a, a pastor, a Baptist pastor, uh, um, today. And so that's, that in itself is a long and winding road, but along the way, uh, I, I, I came across like, you know, the, the doctrines of grace through, uh, men like RC Sproul. And, and then I, uh, kind of went deeper into, you know, John Calvin himself and, and the Westminster standards. And of course, eventually come to the 1689, London Baptist Confession, which is funny because for a long time I was reading the Westminster Standards and being like, why don't the Baptists have a version of this? Like, oh, they do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my, my, my political journey is a little bit more 
complicated, I guess. Uh, I grew up a neocon and, uh, and, uh, for instance, I remember going to a, uh, I remember going to a youth conference or something where we were all talking about how we need to support George W. Bush's reelection. Otherwise the world was going to hell and, uh, just cheered gladly at that one. Uh, and then, uh, I think along the way, um, I, I started basically, I always knew that leftish leftism, liberalism was, was pretty, um, well, I just noticed there was a lot of groupthink to it. Like it wasn't like there was a principle holding this all together. It was just like, this is what we think. Therefore, this is what we think. And I started realizing a lot of that among, you know, what I now know is neoconservatism. Then I just thought was conservatism. And so I started exploring a little bit more my uh, other options. And I, and I like to say uh, the most ironic part of my journey is that Mark Levin is the one who made me a libertarian because in his book, Liberty and Tyranny, a conservative manifesto, he mentions libertarianism as a third option of conservatism. And from there, I just followed his links and was like, you know, I like what these guys are saying. Uh, and then, um, and then, yeah, the, then there's other ups and downs. And actually I talk about this on episode one of, of the flyover libertarian, if you want to go hear more about that, but that's basically my journey up to this point. Um, and yeah. And so now I, 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 as, 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 uh, Jacob mentioned, I'm, I'm a, uh, I, I host with two other friends of mine, uh, a podcast called the flyover libertarian podcast. And, uh, also we recently started up, I recently started up a weekly podcast with my friend, Jeff Park, um, that's called the anarchist Bible study. And that's, uh, a new weekly podcast we've been going through. And so those, those are my projects. So I have to tag you. Yeah. Someone tagged me in a Twitter thread the other day asking if there were any uh christian anarchist bible studies and i was like i don't i don't know so i'm gonna have to go back and now tag tag you so they can check that out because that's that's a, a great idea um you yeah. know i've 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 tried to get that going with some like so i came from facebook before twitter and like there's yep. a big christian anarchist uh community there so we yeah. did some things loosely we didn't um do a lot of bible studies where we had like a little bit of a book club going and we would read a lot of uh we did some fiction but then we also did a lot of c.s lewis books and and other kind of like you know christian non-fiction kind of like you know uh books of that that nature so we had that going yeah. for a while but that kind of just uh, everyone's yeah. busy it's hard to get everyone to yeah. together to do stuff like that even virtually but yeah and and i'm a millennial so that means i also was on facebook but no longer am <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I fit that stereotype. You know, it's it's uh, weird. Like I, I used to, yeah. I used to like make fun of Twitter and say I'd never go on it and loved Facebook, but now it's just like I don't know. I guess I'm a full Twitter addict now. <laughs> I have once, a, once you figure Twitter out, like it's start. It, like I think that's the biggest thing is when you first come on, you're like, I don't really understand this thing. Like, what am I supposed to get out of this? But after you figure it out, it starts. I, I do like it a lot better. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's. Like, I, I like Twitter a lot for like the networking and and, and yeah. certainly it's been helpful for like, you know, help, helping to grow my podcast and, and, and yeah. meet more people and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But I still like, you know, like I remember learning so much when I first became yeah. a libertarian through the yeah. Facebook groups and having those long form dialogues that are really hard to do over Twitter. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I, I think I think I would say, like, I miss what Facebook was. Hmm. 
Like it's yeah. like there it, there was a time when that's what Facebook was. Like if you if you hadn't if you wanted to learn about something, you could find a group or six about that and a bunch of pages about that and and uh yeah, it, now it's just kind of like it's it's it just doesn't feel like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it it certainly the culture of Facebook definitely changed over the uh course of the uh uh 2020 into into 2021 and the you know, now you have to code word everything and you can't, I mean, I feel like, I feel like, I, I don't know. It's like, there's, it's weird if there isn't a post with some kind of fact check or uh, uh COVID-19 vaccine info, like yeah. <laughs> thing posted yeah. below it. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, it, there's a, you know, I guess each social media app has its own pros and cons. You just got to mm-hmm. navigate that the best you can. Um, yeah. But um so what about uh i guess we'll get into sort of like we, we we're both um i see you're, you're wearing uh i like your sweater the uh solo right. uh the, the gloria um which which is a uh right. big part of um i mean it's not just the reformed uh faith i guess but that's part of protestantism yeah. overall but i don't know i i feel like you know, like what really got me into the reformed faith, just to give like my little bit of backstory, because I haven't really talked about that too much on my podcast, actually. But I actually my journey was weird. I, I was always a Christian, but I became a libertarian. And then it was in anarchist libertarian circles that I actually start uh, started to first encounter uh, people who were, were Calvinist and, and, and reformed leaning. And I didn't like their ideas and their arguments. And so I argued with them a lot. And, um, but then like they gave me reading material, they pointed me to RC Sproul, uh, James Mm. White, and and they were kind of instrumental in helping me to sort of like, um, unlearn my, uh, I guess like, like misconceptions they had about Mm -hmm. Calvinism. But then I got deeper into it. I met, um, uh, my friend, uh, Greg Baus, who we've had on the podcast. He got me into, um some of the more like dutch reformers and like their mm-hmm. ideas and contributions and and ever since then it's just like it's a worldview that i found is this makes more and more sense of mm-hmm. uh the bible and and really it kind of like has helped me because like I, I was going through a journey for a couple of years of like trying to figure out how my view of the state and of liberty like fit the bible and a lot of christian anarchists had this this a way of approaching it that I didn't like where it just seemed like they cherry picked things out of the Bible. And it was very much like they were anarchists first, in my opinion, libertarians first. And they were like, okay, well, anything that clearly affirms my worldview is from God and anything that doesn't, yeah. you know, I can just say, Oh, the Bible was written by man and ignore it. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I didn't like that. And, and, and something like no one can ever say of, you know, even if you have disagreements, like I have a lot of, different Christians who watch this show and a lot of actually a lot of my friends in the comments right now are my, my fellow Catholic friends, like a, a, a Caleb from the Catholic libertarian. Um, and, and it's like, you know, I try not to be too, I don't know, gatekeepy about, about things, but um, uh, I forget where I was going with that. Um, but yeah, just, just uh, there, there's something about the reformed tradition that I feel just is more consistent and, and no one can ever accuse the reformed christians of having a low view of scripture they have a very high right. view of scripture right. which which i find to be very appealing because i i, I yeah. like to to i mean i view the the bible as the inerrant word of god i yep. don't want to shy away from any of it and i i want to find you know some kind of systematic theology that 
I can read the Bible, every book, every chapter straight through from beginning to end and mm -hmm. make sense of it and not have to, yeah. you know, jump through hoops or, uh, uh, come yeah. up with with weird like exceptions and a bunch of loophole you know I, I want it to be very consistent yeah. so i mean that's what brought me to it uh, what do you see as sort of like the um uh like in, in your view the, the connections between the reformed tradition and sort of like the political stances that uh that we, we take yeah sure um well it was interesting well what what drew me to reform theology was um was really like you know like you've got sola scriptura which um is often confused for solo scriptura like you could say like a, a solo scriptura <laughs> nice yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh solo scriptura would say like the bible and the bible alone nothing more and that's and that's what people think sola scriptura means and by which i mean both people who affirm it and people who deny it that's like it's just the scripture and no tradition we have no tradition i'm like well of course we have a tradition we read confessions like we, we have, we have the creeds, we, we from the creeds, we have catechisms. Like we, there's a tradition. The question is, does the tradition move you toward the Bible or away from the Bible? Hmm. And, and, and sola scriptura means that scripture is the only rule. Everything else we hold with a wheat, with like a, a light fist. Like we, it's not that we, we let it go. We just hold it a little bit less tightly at, than we do scripture. And hmm. our confessions and tradition can be critiqued. And, 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 and everyone has a principle. They think that they're, everyone has a tradition and everyone has a way to critique their tradition. The question is what is their tradition and what does, what is the means of critiquing that? And, and what I liked about reformed theology was partly that soul scriptura, but that's just the Protestant classical Protestant view. What I really found about reformed theology that I liked was the principle of tota scriptura. That it's not just that it's all of scripture mm -hmm. that, that yeah. we are seeking to bring together everything that the Bible says. And interestingly enough, that's an area where I think the reformed tradition can be critiqued um, on the issue of politics. Hmm. Um, I think the, the reformed tradition and, and by which I mean, well, you have resources in the older reformed tradition, um, like particularly in, in the new world, you know, in America, you have American reformed, uh, you know, books like Lex Rex, um, uh, things like that. But, but like in the confessions, I find you, there is a, there seems to be a lack of the Toda Scriptura consistency that we find in the other chapters of the confession where it seems like it's Romans 13, maybe that passage in, in Peter and, and really not some of the other passages that we find in the Bible on, on, on political power and on States. Um, so like if, if, if Romans 13 was the only chapter in the Bible on the state, then we might have, yeah, then we might just have to grin and bear it. We might just have to lick the boot and follow along. Um, but, but also like there are other passages like, um, like me and my buddy, Jeff Park, who's actually in the, in the, in the chat now, I see uh, we're going through the book of revelation and we're looking very forward to getting to revelation 13, which I think, uh, I think that's not representing some future antichrist that is representing the Roman empire. Like that's, that's the Roman empire in, in given 
uh, shape as a beast who worships the devil. And so it obviously that doesn't mean that I need to be okay with everything that the state does or everything the government does in order to follow Romans 13. And, and also there's uh, for Samuel eight, a lot of times gets brought up where um, Israel wants a King and uh, Samuel says, you don't want a King. And uh, the Lord says, Samuel, you're right. They don't want a King. So warn them what they're going to get when they get a King. And of course, you know, Daniel three, like uh, your, yeah. like you have. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's that passage in acts. We must worship God rather than man that, that I saw was on, on your banner right before we came up uh, X five. And, and we need to keep all of these passages together. Um, however, again, this is where I sometimes butt heads with my fellow anarchists is I'll be like, but Romans 13 means something. And, and sometimes I feel like we go a little too far in the direction of saying what Romans 13 doesn't say because these other passages and we forget like, well, but Romans 13 does mean something and we have to wrestle with that a little bit too. And that's something that I think uh, that also Jeff and I on the anarchist Bible study have been starting to do a little bit is wrestling with what does it say positively to us? Not just what doesn't it say? Right. Yeah. I know uh, that was something, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Romans 13, that is the, uh, the boogeyman passage. So, I mean, it comes mm -hmm. up uh, a lot on this show. I had to go into the comments and be like, you know, make a joke, Romans 13, take a shot. It's uh... a, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I mean, like I have, and people who have watched my show know, you know, I have my own, um, you know, and I've done several podcasts on, on the chapter, but I mean, I know you say you're kind of still working it out, but like, what do you, you know, maybe like at this beginning stage of you, you guys, you know, kind of talking about it, looking mm -hmm. at it, you know, what do you take away from Romans 13? And, and what do you mm -hmm. think, uh, like a consistent, um, systematic theological approach, you know, kind of taking all things, uh, together, like you said, not like, you know, we can't just cherry pick what we like. We have to look yeah. at something like a Romans 13, which I know when I first became a, an anarchist and, I see that passage. I would just kind of like, eh, uh, I don't want to you know, <laughs> look at all the I, other ones I like. And, yeah. you know, and, if I don't uh, look at it too long. I can pretend it's not there. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> and and it's, I understand why, you know, it, it, a lot of Christian anarchists just go, oh, well, it's Paul. And Paul's a big, meanie, poo-poo, poo-poo head. <laughs> um, but I, I so yeah, I feel like I've come up with at least uh, an answer that I answers to Romans 13 that I think make sense and 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 whatnot mm -hmm. but I, I i'm always you know interested to hear other people's uh thoughts and stuff i mean you know scripture is you know as much as i i believe in sola scriptura of course and um but i feel like our understanding of scripture is always evolving and it's right. something that right. uh you know god forbid anyone who says you know they've gotten to a place where they they don't need to keep studying and keep learning uh yeah uh from even passages they've done deep dives on i mean you know yeah. uh, I hope I never uh, become that arrogant. So yeah, I'd love to hear yeah. what your, what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean uh, the first thing I always, uh, the first area I would go is first of all, like I think I, I've become really into as of late. It's one of those things that feels nerdy until you start to, to see the implications, but dating the new Testament letters has become a big deal to me lately figuring out where the letters stand on the historical timeline. Right. And um, this was a thought that started occurring to me when I started realizing like this was written, like when this was written, it was before the state persecutions had begun. And so 
when you when you look at like it was written while he was uh, sitting in Corinth about to head back to Jerusalem. And so he was writing a letter as a consolation prize because he wanted to go to Rome. And that was where he was hoping to go. But um, because he had been called back to Jerusalem to bring. uh, Oh, I'm forgetting the context of why he but he was getting called back to Jerusalem. uh, He wasn't going to make it to Rome. So he writes this letter as what he would have said to them. And and so that's part of what makes Roman such a valuable book is that he's this is essentially his first uh, his his. main teaching that he would have done if he had he made it to Rome. And so because of that, we have a copy of his main teaching on the gospel and on faith and, and, and righteousness and things like that. But um, I think, and I think that, but I think that historical context does matter because this is the second, this is the, uh, the application portion. Like you got the doctrine part and you've got the action. So you've got, um, in, in, in if in the letter to the Ephesians, it's split pretty much right down the middle. The first three chapters are doctrine, the second three chapters are application. Um, in, in Romans, it's much more doctrine, and then starting in chapter 12, it's application. And so this is how do we live out our faith in, in the world. And it matters, context matters for that because they are living in a world in which the things he says there about this about the state protecting them and about bearing the, sh- the sword was correct in the sense that their persecution wasn't coming from the state. It was coming from the, uh, the Jews, the Jewish rulers and, and Jewish authorities. They were the ones who kept coming after them. And um, you'll notice that's also a, an interesting detail. If you read the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you read how they speak about the pilot, uh, interviews and you get the picture that pilot is just this guy who you know he wants to let them go but what can he do like the they're, they're forcing him and you get to john and that that's written much later when when the persecution is starting to come down and and john has much less patience for pilot and that's where you hear you hear jesus say yeah yeah you're going to hell i mean it's going to be worse for for judas but you're going to hell and and so he he comes a lot stronger because by that point the situation had changed. There was no reason to play nice with the Roman authorities. They were, they revealed themselves for who they are, um, you could say, and and that's also why Revelation, which is written in the eight about eighty ninety. I used to think eighty seventy, but Jeff has been convincing me back to ninety. Um, but either either way, in the seventy to ninety era, uh, that's why he calls it a beast who's following the devil. Um, because they've been seeing what the what 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 the state really does, and so I think historical context is one important thing. Um, however, even so, the Lord is using historical context to you know as as we believe that it's inspired by God, and He's using their people in their certain situations to bring about um, to bring about His word. We have to figure out what it is saying, um, even in that context. Um, and I think for one thing, there's some translation issues. Hmm. Uh, we're, we're all beholden to the King James tradition. And sometimes that's good because the King James, some of the King James, uh, translations were really good and really solid. Um, but in some places you got to remember it was, uh, authorized by a King. Hmm. And so when you get to this chapter, it's not that they were fudging the numbers in order to support the King. You're just going to get people who are already a little bit pro monarchy to start writing the letter. 
And so you, you've got some translation issues. But at the same time, I think it is saying, it, it does seem to be saying that there is a role for the sword. And there's a mm. role for those who bear the sword uh, in, in society. Now, uh, and, and for us, that we are to submit to those who bear the sword. Because, for one thing, like you could say, because it's unwise not to, they bear the sword. But also because, like, because there are good things they do. Like, I always think of this one letter that I, this one article I wrote in the, uh, uh, on the Libertarian Institute, where uh, I forget the author, but the author says, they tell the story about how they were walking through a crosswalk, and they almost got hit by a car. And then they were like, but then as they kept going, a cop pulls out of the alley and pulls them over. And the guy says, Am I, was I a bad libertarian because I was rooting for the cop in that situation? Well, no, because if the state has to exist, it should do things like that. Like, like that is a proper use of the sword. And this is where, you know, the, the anarchist answer isn't that there should be no use for the sword. Or, the, right. sorry, the libertarian anarchist answer is not that there should be no use for the sword, but that the, the, the sword should not be wielded by a monopoly of violence. That, yep. um, and, and I think there's also room for that interpretation in the sense that all the people who support Romans 13 also are not weeping that the Roman Empire fell apart. Because that's who we're talking about in Romans 13. Like, we're not saying, so we should go back to a Roman imperial system. Is that, should we start calling Joe Biden Caesar instead? Like, we all acknowledge that this passage can fit in different political systems. And so I'm just saying, it, let's, let's come up with a system in which the sword is not wielded by a monopoly of violence over a per particular area. Let's, let's, um, let's ex explore some of the, the like polycentric legal order and, and, mm. uh, I love and, that term. Um, yeah, it's such one of my favorite great, terms. I just love saying it. It feels <laughs> yeah. so good. Uh, but like, yeah, things like that. Like we, we can, we can see a sword bearing being done in those situations. And, and also like, I, I would say that my, my, um, my, my reading of this is, is very um, inspired by a man named Brandon Adams. Uh, he does not have the following he should have, but he's uh, he writes on a blog called contrast wordpress.com and he's done, he does a lot of uh, reformed Baptist sort of studies, but also he uh, wrote for, an, for I think, a now defunct website called The Reformed Libertarian. And he did a stu uh, some studies on Romans 13, and especially his studies on the Avenger of Blood were very good. Um, this, this this lesser known character from the Old Testament, because he's kind of just mentioned in passing, but it's this, uh, basically this, essentially a a private law way of dealing with murder that the family of the murdered person would hire this offender of blood whose job was to pursue the person who who murdered them and that's also where the cities of refuge come in that this person would flee to the city of refuge and the city of refuge was kind of like a court where they would that the elders of the city um, which wasn't a elected or monarchical position it was a position of of wisdom um they would kind of stand in court with the avenger of blood on one side and the murderer on the other side and they would essentially decide whether or not they're going to give this person let this person remain in their city because they're innocent or hand them over to the avenger of blood um to to receive wow. justice for his for his 
actions. Yeah. That's really, awesome. yeah. <laughs> really cool. interesting concept for, for political philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. It's weird. Like we came to the same conclusions, although you took a route that's a little bit different than uh, the route I take. Um, Cause I, I, you know, and uh, we all know this. somebody in the comments said it too, like obviously Romans doesn't originally have those chapter subdivisions. So yeah. we always have to remember like, you know, to, to kind of read it from start to finish, but like in Romans 12, um you know paul talks a lot about like you know like you said it gets into application and paul's talking about how we handle adversity when people persecute us when people do evil Mm -hmm. to us and he's echoing what jesus said on the sermon on the mount to turn the other cheek do not repay Mm -hmm. evil for evil but overcome evil with good uh as much as it depends on you live at peace with all but then it's like okay but so that that's kind of like what your heart should be and you know obviously we should not use evil to stop evil Mm -hmm. but then it's like well what do you do and it it seems to me that romans 13 like you said is saying okay well there is some use for sword bearing Mm -hmm. against those who do evil not for revenge not Mm -hmm. for um like doing evil to them but to uh restrain them in the protection of those who do good um and, and you know this is something that that god is you know through through paul through you know god's uh um, anointing on Paul and, and you know, uh, inspir- inspiring his, his writings and stuff. God is speaking to us and saying there there is a role for, like, the civil justice. Um, mm-hmm. And I agree yeah. with you that just because those norms exist, just because sword-bearing is something that God ordains, does yeah. not mean that God ordains it in one particular fashion or that yeah. uh, that we can't look at the different ways or of organizing some sort of uh, form of governance and go, okay, these are better or worse, both by, we could do it strictly by a political or economic analysis, but even you can, I think, analyze uh, these different means through a biblical lens of what is m- most consistent. And uh, uh, especially also what you said about um we're not weeping over the fall of the Roman empire and stuff. It's like uh, that, that kingdom element plays a role too, where it's like, recognize that, um, you know, like if, if like Jesus said, our kingdom is not of this world and and we are just uh, foreigners here. Well, should we, you know, be tying these systems of governance to kingdoms of men or would it be better to have like, you know, poly, a more polycentric decentralized uh mm-hmm. uh o- o- system of of governance um mm-hmm. so yeah i think that's so, so yeah pretty much yeah mm-hmm. I completely agree with uh mm-hmm. your your take on that it, it, it and yeah, romans 13 definitely like to me it's it's funny because a lot of christian anarchists are pacifists and it's like mm-hmm. to me I, since i've done you know my my studies and stuff and and looking into this I've come to think like, you know, Romans 13 used to be this passage wielded against libertarians and anarchists of like, you can't be an anarchist. And now it's like, sometimes I I find myself quoting Romans 13, not to libertarians, but to pacifists to be like, um, you know, Mm -hmm. because they'll they'll quote Romans 12 all day long to support pacifism. Uh, But then I'm like, okay, but it seems like Romans 13 is saying that there are some people who need to wield the sword. Now, yeah. You know, I, I have a lot in common with pacifists. Don't get me wrong. Like, you mm-hmm. know, compared to the uh, the the bloodlust that many you know have in the world apart from God, I'm a lot closer to mm-hmm. the heart of my my pacifist brothers and sisters, um, and you know, sharing their heart in in wanting peaceful um, 
solutions, wanting the least violent solutions possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think, you know, that, that to me, that's why polycentric, you know, anarcho-capitalist uh, ideas of, of governance are really compatible with all yeah. of this because they, they, they do promote a, a social order that is yeah. more based on that social cooperation and, uh, um, you know, it doesn't completely eliminate human evil, but it, uh, it, it, it doesn't yeah. help you. I think the, you know, like going back to first Samuel eight, like what's the lesson there? It's like, you know, I, I love the book of judges where it's like, they had this weird kind of anarchistic, mm-hmm. uh, order and it wasn't great. Like bad things happened. It's like, so yeah, human evil always exists and bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, putting evil people in charge with monopolistic power, uh, just just seems to to worsen the problem not not better it the only uh the only solution is to submit to the true king and that's christ yeah and i mean the 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 monarchical system works great as long as the king is good but how often did that happen right and even even the best kings were still like i mean like look at david a man after god's own heart and uh has an affair and like tears the kingdom and (laughs) puts the kingdom into this massive turmoil and you know it it wasn't it wasn't perfect and and that that lasted you know and even the kind of semi-stability david brought like was gone as soon as his son took over so it's like it's it's not uh it doesn't last yeah yeah absolutely and um you know i think uh and I was gonna I was gonna make a case about like the bloodlust. Sorry, I'm laughing at Chef's comment here. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my boy Jeff right there. Um, uh, but uh, like this is where uh, I was gonna make a comment. Oh, 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 and and but also to be fair about the bloodlust of the world, there's also uh, plenty of bloodlust in the church where yeah. you know ne- the the neoconservative movement has co-opted churches for the for the warfare machine in many places. Oh in many yeah. Cases. <laughs> and, um, we need, we need a decent amount of Spurgeon. And so, uh, you know, Spurgeon wrote that mm. amazing, uh, sermon against war. Um, uh, I think an- our, our anarcho Christian did a really good podcast on that. Um, a while back. I don't know if they've done a, another one since then, but, um, but I think, I think there's, I, I, I guess I agree with you on that one too. Like this, it's where, um, there has to be a happy medium between praising the war machine and I won't lift a finger even against the worst evil. Like there's, there's a happy medium there. And I think yeah, often the just war um, tradition gets uh, unfairly maligned I as agree. if they were just trying to justify war, but really it was an attempt to limit wars and to say, here's the situation in which it is okay to lift the sword. Like, really, in many ways, they were trying to figure out what what the libertarians were trying. The first libertarians were trying to talk about when they were coming up with the non-aggression principle. When are when is it okay for you to use force? Right. And 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 in both cases, it came to such a limited to such a limited um, such a limiting of the use of force. That if anyone actually followed just war theory, their war would be extremely rare. No. Yeah, I agree. The, the problem with just war theory really isn't the theory. It's just that it uh, we have politicians and generals who lie to us and uh, manipulate uh, the you know through the media and through 
uh, you know, the military industrial complex to, to keep their ongoing yeah. or, or international conflicts. I guess you can't really call them wars because they're yeah. not <laughs> constitutionally yeah, authorized, but yeah. And, um, and, yeah. And, and that's just the, the thing you'll find in every generation in every area is people who are, you know, I'm, I'm studying, I'm actually going to be preaching uh first Timothy six, three through 10 in a few weeks. I don't remember when, but uh, I was looking at that and he talks about like, um, these people with an unhealthy or, or a sick fascination with speculation and were and and quarrels with words. I think how the ESV renders it, but it's like a one word for like word fighting. And uh, really what he's talking about is people who use an, uh, w- words as weapons. And and like you'll find that when anytime there's some dude who pops off on Twitter using like these big six syllable words and really they're just trying to obfuscate everything they're not trying to make anything clearer they're obfuscating they're trying they want you to be confused and be like oh well this is a smart person i'll do what he says and and there are always going to be people like that in every area this is like this is going to happen in libertarianism this is going to happen in government people trying to justify war by by word obfuscation it's going to happen in churches like you are always going to have people who attempt to use words redefine them on the fly and to do battle uh by doing that by 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 abusing language and and that's why there's there's always a value for people who are willing to stand and speak plainly and speak clearly and and to speak and to to do so speaking against lies and for the truth and yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's what i'm trying to do (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well said. Uh, you know, what, what is your experience? You, you brought up the, you know, there is unfortunately a little bit of bloodlust even within the church. And, um, you know, we're in a weird, we're in that, in that weird part of the cycle right now where uh, the conservatives um, and the evangelicals, you know, they're, they're, they're not in power. They don't have their, their president in. So they, um, they, they tend to lean a bit more our direction when, when that's the case. Although, um, lately now it seems they are just so like a lot of my, my, my Christian brothers and sisters are just more focused on being anti-left than they are anything uh-huh. else, which I, I sympathize with, but, uh, but it's just uh-huh. a little short-sighted, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, w- w- what do you think, you know, is it, is it just Romans 13? Is it, is it just, or is it, is it something about like American culture? You know, why is it, I mean, like I have my own opinions, but I, you know, I I don't think there's just one answer, but like what, in Mm. your experience, what, what is maybe part of the entanglement that exists between like Christians and, and this, this, you know, it's, it seems like, um, even though, you know, I, I guess across the world, I'm sure all Christians, uh, are, a lot of them engage in some form of statism, but I've always thought yeah. that here in America, there's just this weird mix, mixture between like American history and, and like this weird, you know, the yeah. city on the hill, American exceptionalism yeah. and with with and they mix it with their theology in a way that makes it, uh, you know, really hard to, you know, get that. It, it's really hard to get at the heart of that uh, that entanglement. 
because it's got a lot of different layers. It's not just like, oh, they have one misconception of one verse or a couple of verses. And if you debunk that, suddenly you, you get rid of it. It's mm-hmm. it's all these different things. I mean, what's what's uh, your experience in that? And, you know, you said you were kind of a neoconservative and came out of that. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was a bit different, although I was raised in conservative uh, circles. I went far left, actually, post high oh. school. And so I actually kind of had this weird like came from Bernie Sanders supporting back to like a, a, a brief pit stop in like the weird like middle ground between neoconservatism and actual libertarianism when I because mm-hmm. I was like you know it, it, it's hard to when someone like Ben Shapiro is calling himself a libertarian and then you run into people like Ron Paul and then you realize like okay what's the difference between the two of mm-hmm. them it's like that that was a journey I I, I went through very rapidly I went from like yeah. left for him a long time to like six months of figuring out what libertarianism was before yeah. I embraced it. But yeah. uh, someone, you know, who, who you said you more identified as a neo-Calvinist and uh, yeah. Where, what are the, what are those entanglements and, and what are some ways we can maybe help to get more of our, more of our Christian brothers and sisters to, uh, I don't know, to start, you know, we can't change their mind all at once, but at least to start kind of like yeah. examining the, uh, you know, start pulling on those threads to see how, uh, yeah. Where, where, where they end up. Well, and that's a man, it's, it's a complicated question for one thing. Um, uh, the first thing I would start with is, um, for one thing, I, I think there's, a, there's a level at which I think there's a, there's an unfortunate, um, combativeness that, that libertarians come at things with, um, because I don't think we're good at, at identifying the enemy uh, mm-hmm. sometimes. Sometimes we're not very good at identifying the enemy. So my first thing is um, these are my people. Like these are like ultimately if you give me the option of, of living in a libertarian community or living in a conservative Christian community, I'm going to pick the conservative Christian community. Like those, these are my people. I am a conservative evangelical through and through. That's, that's who I am. And um and and so these are good people i think it's a mistake to throw in the flag waving i'm so proud of you know my my kid who joined the navy god bless the military to throw in that person with john mccain like they're they're Hmm. very different people these are people working from ignorance and from good intentions and i think starting there is a helpful place um and yes. then I think realizing also that like in every way they're kind of picking up on, like in the same way that you, you mentioned Romans 13, like they, they pick up on that and they take it in places not meant to go. They're picking up on things that are correct. Like I, this, this might make me unpopular among libertarians, but I do actually believe that America was founded as a Christian nation. That's I'm not saying the United States was, <laughs> But America, like the, the, the continent of America be, was was hmm. founded by and large by Christians. Their motivations and, were certainly religious. Yeah. And and yeah, and 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 that was an important part of the American project. And and in many ways, that's what set the American Revolution apart from the French Revolution, like that it was not motivated by a an, an atheism or a secularism. It was motivated by a belief in God and, 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 and in his word. 
Uh, and sure, there were deists involved in the project, and and uh, you know we don't want to minimize that. There was some there's some poisoning in it, but I think that is accurate. But then someone comes along and says, "Yeah," and then it remained a, a, a Christian experiment throughout all this time, and and actually uh, Columbus was an evangelical Christian. You've got this these books that I read in uh, oh boy. I read them when I was a middle schooler, like the, the the light and the glory series, which is this viewing America's founding as if it was all just an ordained by God thing with, with born again, evangelical Christians, which, you know, Columbus was Catholic. He's not that like whatever he was, he wasn't that. And, and it's just an oversimplification picking up on a small piece that is correct and, and, way overblowing it same thing with the patriotism thing like sure like i i love america i don't want to move and go anywhere else like i love the 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 people i love the tradition of liberty i love the even the intellectual and 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 artistic tradition of it like yeah there's lots of great stuff in europe but like this is this is where i live this is who i am um and so that's great but that's not the same thing as being like, go USA, whatever you do is okay. Uh, go, go bomb them dirty Arabs. You know, like this, that's not the same thing. Like, and, and, but I think you can see in both of the cases, like this is, well, I mean, like, just look at like what we said about the just war theory. It's, it's states taking the language of just war and trying to twist it to get to, 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 uh, an effective ending, you know, it's the propaganda of the cathedral, as we say, as we're, we now say, but it's, it's taking these things, these, these correct insights and, and drawing out the worst implications in order to make a more subdued, sub, subjective people, I guess, not subjective in the sense of, yeah, but subjective is in subjects, um, submissive might be a better word. Um, uh, but also, I think that reactionary component that you you talked about that like most of what conservatives want to be is not a leftist and and that just colors the whole of conservatism mm, like yeah. and and uh you know i made a I made a comparison on my Twitter the other day of like like the he- Hegelian dialectic as a prescriptive project. I'm not really into like, okay, here's a thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Like that's where truth is in the synthesis. No, but, but like as a historical description, that is exactly what happens. Like this is, this is what happens again and again. The left comes up with a thesis. The left comes up with some crazy radical uh, idea. The conservatives define themselves in reaction as an antithesis, antithesis. And then eventually there's a synthesis. Well, which, where's that going? It's not going right. It's going left. And they're going to come up with another thesis that we're going to react to. And we're going to synthesize again left. And so it's like conservatives don't even realize this is a bad idea for you to just define yourself as not being the left because you're letting, you're still letting them define the conversation. You're letting them set the agenda and you will lose doing that. And that happens in the church. It ha- That's why you see the, the liberalism, uh, liberalism ultimately wins, and the only way conservatives ever seem to win anything is by leaving and starting their own denomination um, in, in the church, and and but also you see it in in general society, and so there's there's a it, there's a sense in which this is where I think 
coming up, standing on principle and standing on and, and, and refusing to respond to the, to the antithesis of, of providing your own thesis, planting your flag in the ground, saying, no, you move, you move. I'm not going to move is, is really the, the only answer. And this is in order to, pre to prevent this. And I think that's where, you know, in the Christian circles, it, it comes down to standing on God's word and standing on the, the, uh, uh, you know, for me, I think the classic Protestant, the classic Reformed tradition is is the one that stands most most stridently on God's word in toda scriptura sort of sense. Um, and in the political sphere, I think that's where uh, we need to stand on principle, uh, on the principle of liberty and not move and not let ourselves be defined by our enemies, but to stand and, and say, no, you move like this is where we're going. And you get on board or you get off. Like that's that's the way it's gonna work. Um and, and that yeah. that moved me a long way away from your question. I'm so sorry about that. But <laughs> no, no, it's good. No, it gets me into kind of like my uh it's uh you know, it's I feel like a lot of Christians like this so they'll they'll self-identify as a conservative. And I've I've come to sort of identify as a conservative, um, even though I, I it's weird, like temperamental uh temperamentally uh like i'm thinking like jordan peterson and psychology and it's like i i'm more temperamentally left in terms of like my mindset and my orientation um but because of my faith and just what's going on in the culture i have found myself as i've been more serious in my faith and i've had a family and kids um mm -hmm. kind of like getting back to my roots of what i was raised with and, and kind of identifying more uh along the lines of conservatism mm -hmm. but i feel like for me like conservatism is sort of like an actual set of ideas and i've started to look more into conservatism and it seems like it used to stand for something and yeah. a lot in our modern in our, in our current uh time and, and and what's going on on the on the right it's more like you're describing where it's like it's less a conservatism being defined by a set of principles and more like well we're just it's reactionary and yeah. it's just well we're not that we're always not that yeah. um and, and that's yeah. i think very frustrating you know what um you know i i don't even know how i would define conservatism it, it but it's just yeah. it's, it's more like it's kind of a mindset but it's not a yeah. mindset that's just set on reacting like well i'm not the the social progressives you yeah. know what i mean it's like it's something that like i think is consistent no matter what it should be rather consistent in my opinion, rather, no matter what culture or time yeah. period you're living in. Uh, like, w what do you think about that? Like, how would you define conservatism? I mean, I think that's part of the problem is that it is such a spaghetti term. Like it is mm -hmm. kind of a hard to thing to nail down. Like, and, and it seems like we need to speak in terms of conservatisms sometimes. Like there's kind of a, uh, I think there's a sense of, and really it comes down to conservative it's in the word they want to conserve something hmm. and and it seems like that's almost not enough the question is like what are you trying to conserve like the modern conservative movement um really is just about conserving in the sense of i just don't want things to change from what they are now and so that's why um, malice's dictum that conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit is so accurate. It's because yeah. most conservatives 
are just like, yeah, you know what? I like the way my life is now. I don't want that to change. And, and then you, you look at the, the culture of conservatism and you're like, man, there's really, I just, I don't find anything attractive about it as like, for one thing, it's a moral man. Like there's just like now conservatism apparently is about defending, uh, showing cleavage and, and like sex, sexual sexuality of women. Like, you know, as women, as, as a liberalism has become more about like a gendered, uh, what you call it, <laughs> you know, am- amorphous gender. Like there is no gender men or women, yeah. women or w- men. Like they've leaned hard into the sort of like women wearing <laughs> cleavage showing it, you know, like that's, that's kind of become what, what conservative means in, in kind of a broad sense. And also like, there's just sort of like a, a redneck hickey thing, which I'm like, I, I'm not that, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm not against Southern culture, but that also that feels like not that either. Um, sure. but there's, there's like an older conservatism, which kind of like their answer was like what they were looking to conserve is the Western tradition. And, and that also is a little bit of a spaghetti term. Like what, what is Western? Like what, what exactly do you mean by that? But yeah. it seemed like largely what it meant was the sort of European Christendom mindset and and of course, as anti-statist, there's things about that that I think aren't great. But, but also, there is sort of a sense of like a Christian world that seeks to glorify God in all it does. Like, like, like what? Like, just look at what art used to be and what it is. Like, art used to be about bringing the beauty out of the world because you believed in a God of order and beauty, and so. Yes. We're, we're trying to reflect that in our art. And now every, now the uh, art is only as good as the artist statement. Like what am I, what political statement are you making with this, with this picture, poem, song, like modern art. I made a, another tweet recently. It's like modern art is bad homiletics. Like that's really all it is. It's, it's like about preaching. Like it's, you're preaching something and, and art is only good if it's preaching the right thing instead of like you're creating beauty. It's almost like, like that's almost become mm. like people even started call, like you'll even hear people calling that kind of art, like kitsch. Like that's not, that's not real art. Like real art is transgressive. <laughs> no, it's not. It could just be beautiful. Something great. Like the Sistine chapel. What's transgressive about that. It's just beautiful. Mm. And, and it was yeah. made because the God of beauty calls us to create beautiful things. And, and I think that kind of conservatism really, uh, that's the one that I really find attractive. This idea that there's, there's something that to create, to create beauty, because there's something in the world that's worth, I don't know that, that this, that God's world has beauty in it. Yes, it's fallen, but there's beauty in it. And, and this classical tradition of, of, I guess you could just say like really just God centeredness. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something you, you kind of were going, you started to go in the direction my mind was going to, where it's like, there's something it's not even, so I've often been one who somewhat autistically gets triggered when people try to say, well, it's about preserving Western culture. Um, and, and that's not like something I've ever really been, 
uh, I don't know, a fan of that phrasing, at least, you know, I, I kind of get what they mean, but it's like, I don't know, like, mm. there's a lot of Western culture I don't like yeah. that is pretty bad. So I don't I don't think it's just that. Sometimes they go, it's about the enlightenment. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know. Because again, it's like, okay, but like, isn't to me, conservatism should be something that I can trace back and be like, well, what, like, couldn't someone have been a conservatism, maybe not by name, but just they could have been identifiable as like, oh, that's, they were conservatives before that, that term was coined before, you know, the enlightenment and stuff. And to me, it's about like, what I've started to think is it's sort of about, being oriented towards order and the problem is so many christians and conservatives conflate order with the state yeah and as i've you know started to kind of go back into conservatism but i'm a libertarian uh, you know and and like i'm such an anarchist that like you know like you were talking a little bit about how like there's things about like america and founding and, and things that like you appreciate and and I can see where you're coming from there. Um, it's not so much me, <laughs> at least not anymore. I've become very uh, uh, very black flag in 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 you know, the last couple of years. And I, I don't know. I, I don't spend too much time trying to, I guess, like rescue the baby from the bathwater. As far as like uh, American culture, I just kind of like uh, it, to me, it just turns me off. Um, mm-hmm. But. Um, but yeah, there's something about natural, you know, it's like as I've so I've been turned off by that part of the conservative movement. But then it's like, but there's something there that again, like so they're taking something like a good premise, a good intuition, but then they're getting, you know, like you said, pulled off into wrong directions. But I think the 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 what's wrong about what they're doing isn't a desire for order. It's just a a, a lack of comprehension of what true order means and where yeah true order comes from and and so that's kind of where like this weird fusion of like and, and it's weird like and, and some very you know some libertarians especially like you know regime uh libertarians get very triggered when you try to merge and say like well i'm an anarchist but i'm also a kind of like conservative christian like mm-hmm. oh, you can't be that it's like oh no i kind of can because like mm-hmm. I, I don't believe in any sort of imposed order by some kind of monopoly or through uh some kind of coercive uh initiation of force to Mm -hmm. push my order upon people but i definitely want to uh like i I don't think that true liberty or even true anarchy means an excess of chaos right um i think there is something like you know you you need order um i think it's what attracted me to jordan peterson a lot was like you know his his first book being an antidote to chaos and Part of what, like when I started to no longer identify as a, a leftist um, was because the left became a place of chaos. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I started to realize, you know, I, like it, it was very transformative. Like, I mean, I, I used to be a very progressive Christian too. I used to think, oh, there's there's nothing wrong with gay marriage, you know, very affirming of, of the LGBT community and, and just you know, and then I, but I just through my life experiences, through having kids and being a, a parent, and through watching the effects of these things in the culture, I was like, you know, maybe there are reasons why God had these rules, why there was this natural order that was given to us through the scriptures that was that God gave to man, going all the way back to the garden, and 
yes, there's something bad about coercively applying those rules mm-hmm. and those order in the way that Christians have mistakenly done in the past. Mm-hmm. But what the separation that I think we need to do as conservatives is to reclaim the order, but just get rid of the the, the coercive part of it to be mm-hmm. like, you know, hey, these rules and 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 these this order, this hierarchy that we want to be a part of, you it's it's to our benefit. It's to our good. It's for the good of us as individuals. It's good for our families, mm-hmm. for our children and our and our societies. You know, and there is actually if you're going to have an anarchy that completely denounces any sort of order, that yeah. is that is actually the bad kind of anarchy yeah. that a lot of people will criticize and say, well, that that would lead to a Mad Max, a very, you know, uh, dog eat dog world. It's like, well, yeah, it, 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 it would, if you, it's like, I, I want to embrace, uh, the, I want to reject coercive means and monopolistic power, but that Mm -hmm. has to come simultaneously with embracing the godly order that I think is in the Bible. And that I don't think, you know, I don't think is at the end of the day coercive. I think that's something that Mm -hmm. we've just, mistakenly mixed just as a consequence of history that does that yeah. make sense that's a bit of a rant but <laughs> no absolutely absolutely hey your show i can't complain uh <laughs> but uh i think that yeah i think i i'm, I'm with you and i think uh you know, I think I think uh, maybe maybe a picture illustration of what I was saying before of like the two types of conservative. It's kind of like you know where you've got the uh, the bell curve, the IQ bell curve. <laughs> like it's like there's conservatives on both sides of the bell curve. Like the the one side is just like I don't want to change. The other side is like this intellectual tradition of like there's there's something worth preserving here. There's wor- something worth going back to, and and that's really where I am. Is that there's something worth preserving, both in the culture. Of, of America and also in this, in the, the old classical tradition. And that's what I prefer about it is like the classical tradition. Mm-hmm. And of course, as a classical Protestant, like that's really the classical Protestant tradition that I'm, I'm, I think is worth conserving, but also like, uh, I think you're right about the order thing, um, which I would see more as a right versus left than necessarily conservative. And I think conservative belongs on the right. Uh, but I think it's a broader thing, a question of like order versus chaos and, and absolutely chaos is, is the thing of is, is the left. That's why they have the constant revolution. Yeah. Like you, you either die a hero or you go on or you live long enough to become part of the problem. Like that's, that's life on the left. And we're seeing that now with Dave Chappelle, but we'll have another illustration in like <laughs> two months, you know, it gives yeah. a couple months and we'll have another illustration of, of that exact principle going on. Um, But, but the order, and I think there's a sense in which, as a libertarian and as a Christian, I have to be a rightist, but I don't have to be every kind of rightist. Like there are some types of right wing thought that just I cannot get on board with because it is violent. It is even anti-Christian. It is yep. um, authoritarian and, and, and I can't get on board with every kind, but, but I think one of, and that's one of my strategies, I think, because, because conservatives, because right wing people are my people. Um, because of my 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 religious uh, beliefs, and also because, just I I know as a evangelical reformed pastor, I'm going to be working around these people the rest of my life. Um, one of my best biggest strategies is to point out the many ways in which the state hates God, 
Mm, like the state yes. hates your church and the state hates your family. Like pointing out those three things of like, like the state hates you individually. That's, that might be a successful thing against like certain people. But I think especially with conservatives, just showing the many ways that like the state doesn't want you to raise your own family. They hate that homeschooling exists. They allow it because they have to, because they don't have another choice. Like they would love to have your kids in their classroom and to uh, propagandize them all the way till they're 30 something. And then eventually, and then by that point, they absolutely hate you and will refuse to talk to you. And, and they hate your church. They don't want, like we've seen that so much in, in this, this COVID uh, regime like you know it was okay to go out in the streets and protest on behalf of black lives matter but they but if you tried to have a church service like especially like you know jeff mark my, again talking about him a lot my partner on anarchist bible study he lives in canada and he was seeing churches padlocked pastors thrown in prison and so like the, the state hates your church they want it they want it dead because why because they know that that is an alternative to their brainwashing like if you could come up, if you come with your Bible and you see this thing is wrong and that, that the state is doing, well, then they know which side you're going to stand with. They know you're going to Daniel three, the heck out of them. They're going to yeah. ax five uh, like crazy if they see you disagree. So if they can make themselves, they want to make themselves God. They want to send the impression they're omnipotent. They're all wise, all knowing. And as long as we have a belief in God and in Christ, that's going to prevent them from becoming that in our eyes. And so they hate your church. They hate your family. They don't want you. They want to take away your kids. They don't want you to parent them. And, uh, and they hate God because yep. it's a constant reminder of what they're not. Mm. And, and taking that tact of pointing that out, that um, I think that's a, a very, a much more effective way to, um, to, to, to interact with your, your, especially your religious evangelical Christian is, is to, to point out these things that maybe they haven't thought about. And then along the way, we'll deal with the Romans 13 problem, but, yeah. uh, but at the very least showing them the fact that whatever we say about the state, let us not confuse them for anything other than a beast that worships Satan. Yeah. And, uh, and I saw, I saw on your Twitter, like before I, I was, I was looking to see if you had a link there that I could share before, I, I messaged you, but I saw your, your, one of your high, your, it might be your pin tweet about, uh, the devil offering the nations of the world yep. to, to Christ. And says, if you just bow before me, I will give you the nations. And like, it's, isn't it remarkable that Jesus doesn't respond by saying, you don't have that right. Hmm. Like he doesn't say that. He doesn't say like you don't have the right to to say that. Like that's 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 my or that's God's. So like, like there's something about that 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 the response he gives isn't you don't have the right to give that to me, but I'm not going to bow to you. And 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 that and then you put that together with other passages you see in the New Testament, like uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians two that you were dead in your transgressions and sins, following the prince of the power of this world. Or, or in 2 Corinthians 4, how the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And he's talking about Satan as like, like that the world political structures have been given over to him 
And, and then you put that together with Revelation 12 and 13, where, th- where Revelation 12 is all about Satan, the great serpent, and Revelation 13 is the beast who worships the serpent. And as I've, I've said in, uh, in, in about a, uh, I don't know, whenever we get to Revelation 13, we'll make the case on our podcast that that we that that is representing the devil that is representing the Roman empire and the, the, yeah. the, the state worships the devil because the devil's giving it his power. And that is significant. Yeah. Whatever we say about Romans 13, we have to hold that in our other hand that, that you play the power game, the, the, this world power game, you're playing the game of the devil. Yep. Yeah. And, no, I think yeah, it's hundred percent. Yeah, no, that, that was great. I a hundred percent. Uh, agree with that um yeah and you know it's something i've had to get better at and i've often been a lot more combative and not as loving of of my evangelical right-wing uh christians as i as i should be part of that just you know maybe coming from resentment and coming uh from from the left part of it also being just like a, a typical autistic libertarian who's just like you know uh going at them that all things are bad at but you know something we mm. you know especially like what's going on right now with uh this covid regime it's like you know maybe picking a fight with my christian brothers and sisters about why their views on immigration are wrong or or or, or fears are misplaced or whatnot is like yeah maybe that's not a, a hill to die on right now when yeah. there's a lot of uh fertile ground for working to like like if you like i remember you know maybe 10 years ago if you had brought up the idea of like secession or uh yeah. like 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 nullification of the federal government to right-wing evangelicals they would have looked at you like you were crazy now i talk to them about it they're like yeah let's do it <laughs> yeah it's like let's Absolutely. let's do it like the amish you know what i mean it's like let's let's separate and um you know what i mean they're i think they are starting to they're they're more and more i think mm-hmm. being more amenable to those kinds of arguments like the ones you just gave about pointing out how like yeah. listen the state is just like and it, it is something like the lord of the rings analogy it's like the, there's something alluring about the ring of power and some yeah. christians will always want to wield that against their enemies yeah. but we just have to you know keep reminding them like the ring has only one true master like you yeah. said, Satan. Yeah. Uh, Jesus didn't tell Satan, like, "Oh, those aren't yours to give." So mm-hmm. that's pretty telling. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, what do you think? I mean, you know, maybe we'll talk a last thing here. Like, what do you see see happening over? Uh, I don't know the next couple years. You know, th- three to five years. I mean, you know, kind of, and specifically, like, you know, within the Christian evangelical, you know, uh, circles that we're a part of. I mean. Um, you know, like, what, what should our strategies be? Should it be uh, kind of like, you know, get, getting more more of us to sort of like, you know, I, 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 and it's like, there's so many different routes. Like, I'm involved in the Macy's Caucus, and so, like, there's a lot of, Same. you know, like, na- like, like natural, yeah, okay. So, to me, like, there's a lot of, like, natural alignment there, but then it's tough sometimes to get them to, like, oh, you're in the Libertarian Party. It's like, so mm-hmm. you get, you know, those, you, you know, some of those, responses which which can be uh you know tough to deal with um but i don't know it's what route do you think that we need to be taking over the next uh couple years to you know not just resist the state but to start like you know because it's just i don't want to just always be reactionary even towards the state like i think i think we have to uh 
you know, resist evil, but I think we also have to start creating that, you know, natural, more godly order and, and stuff in our, in our own lives and stuff. So, I mean, yeah. uh, like what, what are your thoughts there? Um, well, I guess, um, I, I, I there's, uh, I guess in, in the, as far as like evangelical realm, I think, um, for one thing there, the COVID regime does give us a unique opportunity in that, um, we cannot at this time point, like if they point out revelation 13 or Romans 13 say, okay, but are they punishing the evil and rewarding the good? Is that right. what you see going on right now and saying like, and so I, I think there's, there's definitely the spirit of, of, um, I don't want to say rebellion, but necessarily, but like the spirit of resistance is, is stronger now than it's, it's, it's been in a long time. I, I love the, uh, I have this little shirt from the, uh, you, you follow the, the reformed sage at all on uh, oh, no. Twitter and Facebook. It's a, I mean, they're not really libertarian, uh, like overtly like us, but, uh, but they kind of have like those leanings, uh, but they yeah. have this one shirt I bought. That's like a defying tyrants is obedience to God. Oh yeah. I, 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 I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's not really, it's not yeah. like, re, it's not rebellion. Like, you know, like, like a, like an ungodly, like, you know, you won't tell me what to do. It's like, no, only God will tell me what to do. Yeah. And anyone that tells me to do something contrary to what God told yeah. me to do, uh, you know, you like you said, you Daniel yeah. three them. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think another thing, like, you know, I'm, I still haven't given up on the project of changing hearts and minds. I think it's a long-term project and sure. Yes. Maybe you're right. Maybe right now we need to do some, I actually, I just saw Dave Smith's podcast, uh, with Mark Claire and I, yeah, I just, you know, that I was, actually haven't finished it yet. I was watching it before. Yeah. We hopped on. That's one of the things that he was talking about is like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe right now, because there are some pressing issues, we, we need to put some eggs in the basket of immediate action. Um, but also we got to, if the minute you stop thinking long-term you've, you've lost because yeah. the the left is thinking long-term, um, or really it's just that their, their perspective is such that it doesn't stop moving. Um, so we need to think long-term and I think in the long-term, like one of the ways to get evangelicals to become open to these ideas is by first earning chips. Like that's something that I, I think is so valuable is that I, for, for one thing, because of my position, I can't lead with, I'm a libertarian in my church. Like if someone asks me and they're like, what's your political views? Well, I, I'm actually a libertarian. Um, but I, I don't lead with that. I'm going to lead with, I stand on the word of God. I'm going to yes. lead with, I, I stand for on the gospel. I'm, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to lead with those chips. I'm going to cash the chips or, or really gain the chips by, um, by emphasizing my, that I stand on God's word. And then eventually all these same people, like when they start asking me, so man, isn't it terrible? Like this person who I've gained a lot of ships with, it's like, isn't it terrible that Joe Biden pulled us out of Afghanistan? Then I'm like, all right, I've got a little bit of chips to spend. And also in that moment, I have to be wise about how many chips I spend where I'm like, well, you know, we were there 20 years. And it seems like if we were going to do it, it would have been done by now. And, and doesn't that maybe make you think that maybe, maybe the real problem is the fact that we keep 
charging into these conflicts and putting our our brothers and sisters who are who bravely joined the military to defend their country put them in 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 danger and when when they could be could be staying stateside and preparing uh defensive and then and I'm, I'm not even pushing them to libertarianism i'm just spending a few chips here and there and maybe making them think about like oh yeah you know it's a it's a good point i'm not being anti-military i'm not being anti uh anti your your cousin in the marines i'm just saying you know maybe maybe there's more to think about here and and, and because they respect me because of other things they're willing to hear me out on this. And so I, I think that's another thing is that we libertarians, because we are an autistic bunch, we <laughs> do like to lead with our libertarianism. And, and maybe that's not the best thing. And I think that's also a way that we can communicate with conservatives, too, is like, absolutely, I am against the chaos of the gender confusion thing. And I can affirm 100 yes. percent. I can stand with you 100 percent on that. And I'm going to gain a bunch of chips and eventually I'm going to be like, hey, don't you think it's weird that we keep sending them to public schools where they learn these things? Like maybe, maybe we shouldn't send our kids to government schools. Yeah. And then spending a couple chips and I've got them moving in the direction of, yeah, let's, let's abolish the department of education, you know? <laughs> and, and uh, I, th I think that's, there's sort of a principle of wisdom that needs to be more in the libertarian community of like, when do we spend our chips? When do we build some up? Yep. And I think uh, because we are so often so excited to define ourselves against uh, whether it's conservatism or you know whatever it is we're defining ourselves against, that we can't in some ways see our agreement and store up some chips so we can spend later. Like never compromise. Like if we compromise, we lose. Uh, you know what? What good is it to gain the whole world if you lose your soul? You know, like that's we don't want to compromise. Amen. Yeah. But but be wise about when we when we spend our chips, you know. Yeah, and you know it's tough because like you know we're we're still kind of like, I think there was a little bit of whiplash when Biden won because you know during the four years of Trump it was you know like when when the conservatives are in power uh, at least in my experience I think it's a lot harder to it's like oh things are going our way so it's like you know they they feel like they're winning against the left. Um, yeah. like they have to be in that position where, but I just keep trying to also just have those long-term, like you said, build those relationships, but mm -hmm. over the long term, even when, when they're in power, then they're out of power. It's like, listen, mm -hmm. should, wouldn't it be nice if there was a better way to like organize society than like mm -hmm. every four years thinking the world's going to end. If yeah. the, the person you don't want to rule you ends up ruling you, mm -hmm. like, wouldn't it be better if like mm -hmm. this one person or these one group of people, yeah didn't have all this power over 330 yeah. million people. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just like, Hey, you know, I, like, I, I agree with you. Like, Hey, I'm, I don't like what the left's doing in the culture and the unit through the universities and through yeah. even sometimes the, the legislatures with, with uh, confusing people uh, and kids with, mm -hmm. you know, sex and gender and, and pushing yeah. a lot of things that I find to be degenerate and to be destructive and sinful. Mm -hmm. But, um, can we recognize how those power structures exist? Because we, we kind of are guilty of first using them to push our systems of belief. And like, uh -huh. this is, it's kind of like, I, I always analogize it to like, you know, the, the Giuliani, Giuliani move, uh, moment with Ron Paul, where he just kind of was like summarized, like, Hey, uh, you know, blowback's kind of a thing, you know, like you bomb the crap out of, uh, 
the Middle East and occupy them and do all these regime changes. And uh, yeah, they might mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. get mad and strike back. And it's like, yeah, you know, same thing applies to culture. You know, if we use yeah. the, if we wield the sword, like the sword, the image 13 talks about wielding the sword against evil. And I think that the evil it's talking about is against those who commit aggression. If we mm-hmm. wield the sword against sin, we have to wield it against all of us. We're all mm-hmm. sinners. The sword mm-hmm. is not meant to be wielded against uh, sin that isn't uh, aggression, I think, because mm-hmm. like, wh- where would you draw those lines? And I don't yeah. know. Don't get me started on the theonomists because, you know, they have their own Ooh. very, uh, very, very confused answers to that question. But, um, uh, I love but, theonomists. I don't love theonomy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of theonomists that I like, but I, not in that. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, it's just, you know, the, the sword, when you wield the sword against those who commit aggression, you're in, mm-hmm. you're consistently applying Romans yeah. 13. But if you decide to wield the sword uh, in the culture war, don't, you know, you, you've got to realize that that sword will eventually be uh, tor- yeah. turned back and pointed at you. So we got to think about uh, better long-term solutions is what we got to get. Um, yeah. and I, I think we can, you know, hopefully have these, I think, you know, conservatives are usually by nature, I think, you know, have lower time preferences. So hopefully we can start to have these conversations, but I agree. It's gotta be, you know, we, we gotta mimic, imitate Jesus, right? Like we have to build those relationships with people and, uh, you know, Jesus was able to really like, you know, influence people from that position of like, you know, like he built the the stake up and stock up in people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, commanded a following that way. And, you know, that's, yeah. there's a lot to be learned just through his example, just not just in, in, in that, but just even the compatible, uh, the, the compatibility between libertarianism and Christianity, because, you know, G- I always, you know, like, the Jews missed Jesus as Messiah because they were looking mm-hmm. for some political figure to mm-hmm. uh, revolt against Rome. It's like Jesus came and, you know, uh, proclaimed a kingdom and and fought a war in a way that wasn't violent. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you know, it, it there, there's a lot of parallels there. <laughs> yeah, it's just a different kind of sword instead of a, yeah. the, the sword of the steel, the sword of the spirit. Exactly. And um yeah, I think, and I think that's another thing is like one of the problems, uh, and this is something that um, uh, Jeff and I periodically talk about. Is one of the biggest problems about the church is there's a lot of, for one thing, there's a lot of unregenerate people in the church. Like the church is filled with people uh, who, like, some people go to church to, you know, to stick it to the libs, you know, uh, God and country, you know, but. There's a lot of people who I think attend church out of tradition, out of whatever, and um, are not actually following the God of Jesus Christ. And they have not affirmed the gospel of Jesus Christ and and put their faith in Christ through, through that. And, and I think um, one important thing to do first is to to be proclaiming that gospel and to, to be, and especially to preach the gospel to Christians yeah to christians because they they uh if you're not following the the prince of peace we shouldn't expect you to be marked by peace like it's it it 
it's not surprising when we don't see most of the church marked by peace when they're not following the Prince of Peace. And, and then also like just going deeper. Like, I think the biggest problem with evangelicalism and uh, you know, uh, on the Jeff, Jeff and I on the anarchist Bible study are doing kind of a sub series whenever we get together for bonus episodes called the evangelical downgrade. And we're, we're talking about how like evangelicalism, one of the biggest problem is that they don't stand for anything. And if there's no intellectual depth, when they come to the Bible, we can't expect them to understand intellectually deep things when it comes to governance either. Like we're just, yeah. Um, there, there's almost an allergy to thought among evangelicals. Like give me that old time religion, that simple got well you know the simple gospel gets deep very yeah. soon you start wading into it it's going to get deep and um and also political theology is going to take more than just romans 13 yeah that's true too yep <laughs> cool uh well hey man uh, uh great conversation uh caved across <laughs> apologetics uh says you're better than whoever the spike cohen guy is who's uh, coming on in a couple days you so. know i was i was planning on saying when i when i came in be like you know i'm really excited to be the warm-up act for spike cohen <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah no I, I didn't even think about that like i think i i think i scheduled you both so far back i just didn't even think it was on the same yep. week but yeah <laughs> well but uh yeah but yeah, it was it was great having you on um it was a fantastic conversation you know i, I think yeah. these are things that are really important for you know both like uh libertarians to consider and for christians to consider so um mm -hmm. um where can people follow you to um you know see more of what you're doing and to you know watch your podcast and stuff yeah um well i mean twitter at ioncap as you see on the screen or if you're listening i i don't know if you do an audio version of this but i-o-w-a-n-c-a-p iowa and cap put it all together ioncap um that and then uh uh, like I said, my podcasts are the, the big project I've been spending most of my time on. So I, I talk the most about is, is the anarchist Bible study. And that's where, um, uh, Jeff Park and I, we, uh, we we're going through the book of revelation right now, um, in excruciating detail, but, uh, we, uh, we consider it kind of a, an exegetical podcast. We're, we're really studying the Bible and the, and the point of it isn't to prove anarchism from the bible or prove libertarianism from the bible it's more what do we see when we read the bible as a libertarian or as an anarchist it's and so um that's our big project and it's and and uh you can find that the anarchist bible said we have great search engine optimization because no one else is doing uh an anarchist bible study so you can find us on youtube uh uh itunes google Podcasts, uh spotify the anarchist Bible study and um, uh, the other podcast we do, which is a little bit more irregular is the flyover libertarian. And that's uh, me and a couple of my other uh, friends. Um, we, we just, that's more of a general libertarian podcast. So we do all, we are all Christians and we bring that into our, our faith into it. And so that's the same thing. The flyover libertarian podcast found on, you can find it on YouTube or you can find it on any audio format. Um, uh, though the anarchist Bible study is, we we do a video podcast like this uh and so it's it's much more visual so i mean unless you just hate youtube and don't want to spend any time on it you can go to uh uh you can go go to go to that on youtube 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I've always preferred YouTube, but what I'm finding is a lot of my audience watches the audio only thing where it, it's kind of 50 yeah. 50 but like a lot of people watch the live stream but then after that it's like the youtube videos get no traffic and then it's like the audio uh-huh. ones get a lot of traffic so i don't know mm-hmm. people just have their their own personal preferences i guess yeah. actually i was going to mention this i remembered uh one of the, i shared a post on my facebook uh page daniel three last year and i guess it was unless there was someone else who has uh access to your facebook page of the flyover libertarian uh, you guys shared what, one of my my posts. I, I came up with my memories yeah. today, uh, which was funny. Oh. I was like, "Oh, I'm having them on today." That's that's uh, a yeah. coincidental. But it was uh, um, it was the post. It was like I, I shared it. It was like a a leftist meme, and it was like this uh, large person. It was like uh, uh, a person has value no matter what their size. And I shared it like, "Wait, you guys don't see the irony there?" Like, <laughs> person yeah. has value no matter what their size like yeah i guess it yeah. applies to, to body positivity but uh not to uh yeah. not a not to the baby in the womb i guess <laughs> yeah we uh we the, the story is we, we the fly for libertarian was originally a meme page that expanded beyond what we were intending to and that's why we made a podcast <laughs> that was how so, i started yeah. yeah mine was mine was like a meme page at first and then yeah mm-hmm. now it's not so much memes, but uh, I don't know. Memes are good, but uh, I don't know. I think that, you know, I, I'm sure you have had too. I mean, the, the podcasts are just, it's a different way to engage. And I've had yeah. a lot of good feedback from it. And and I've yeah. learned so much. Like, I mean, just like, it's yeah. been instrumental uh, to my journey to have different people mm-hmm. on and ask them questions and, yeah. you know, talk in real time. I mean, you just get yeah. so much more done. So uh cool well everybody um thanks for watching definitely go uh follow and uh uh, watch what josh and uh uh his partner jeff are doing i'm definitely going to go check out the anarchist bible study because that sounds super interesting so uh thanks again uh josh for coming on and thanks everybody uh, for watching and uh uh yes stay safe out there and god bless Mm -hmm. this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.